It's an invitation to be at a world conference about robots. It's going to be exciting, and I'd certainly like you to come along with me. Don't worry. All it does is temporarily numb your brain. So, hello, Nandoscon. And, and welcome to uh, this very special episode of the Intermillennium Media Project for your dose of nostalgia, media criticism, and misuse of parental authority. Yeah. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad, he's my son, and I make him watch television. Old television from when he was a kid. Anybody heard the podcast before? Some have. Welcome. You guys, one. If you haven't, huge welcome. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Um, let me explain those comments a little bit more. For every episode of the IMMP podcast, I introduce Ian to a, a book or a TV show or a movie or a record or something, some piece of media from my youth, way back in the 20th century before the turn of the millennium. And we talk about it. We find out what Ian thinks about it, uh, coming to it sometimes brand new, what I think about it, sometimes coming to it decades later, what it meant to me when I was a kid. Sometimes they're excellent, like uh, albums from uh, Kansas. Sometimes they're the show Lidsville. <laughs> That's a terrifying thing, if you know what it is. And, you know, we've, wa we've watched a lot of things. We've watched a lot of science fiction and fantasy. We've watched you know, Krull, Highlander, Excalibur, a lot of... Uh, a lot of things with swords. A lot of things with swords. We've watched some you know, 70s cop shows and mystery movies from the 40s, but we've never really talked about anime. We never have. And I'm, I'm surprised because I grew up getting to go to Nandiscon, getting to go to anime conventions, because I know you watched a bunch of it. And we've watched, a, the only animation we've watched has been when you've taken over the podcast for a Millennial Strikes Back episode. Exactly. So we watched Disney's The Weekenders, we watched Fillmore, we, we did watch Pokemon the Movie 3, you showed that to me. That was good. So that's anime. That's anime, I guess that does, that counts for this. So but, I've gotten to do it first. Yeah, I, I'm glad you're sitting down, I'll tell you, it, it is, anime is an important thing. I understand. And we've never, we've never really talked about an anime from when I was a kid. So. so we are going to talk for this special episode here at Nondescon. It's our 100th podcast episode also. We are going to talk about the first anime I ever watched. And that is Gigantor. Oh, goodness. This is the first thing that I ever watched where I was watching it and I had a sense, this is different. This is from another place. There's, there's a different sensibility about this. I... I, I wonder what made you think that. <laughs> I, well, I didn't... I watched cartoons. I didn't know from animation, but I watched cartoons. And this is when I was about five or six years old. And I would watch Looney Tunes and Mickey Mouse and Friends and uh, Crazy Cat and Felix the Cat and Top Cat and all the... That's a lot of cats. Cat bait. Yeah, it's a lot of cat-based animation. Okay, so we need a cat with a sword. <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern here. And we're not done with cats tonight. Okay, we'll good. See. But then suddenly this thing came on, WPIX in New York, and I realized this is different. They're like telling a story. And there's, there are people I can imagine being and being like. I could enjoy watching Bugs Bunny. I wasn't going to imagine being like Bugs Bunny. Things were different when I saw Gigantor. Ah. 
And to, to give you a sense of Gigantor, I'm going to show a clip here. This is episode, season one, episode one, scene one. This is where they drop you immediately into Gigantor. So when he showed it to me, this is the first thing he showed me as well. Drago at the South Pole. One day in the year 2000. What's up, Inspector Blooper? Where are you? Over here, at the desk. Oh, Jim, bad news. Must be to get you so flustered. Flustered? Flustered? You remember Jimmy Sparks? I am Inspector Ignaz Blooper. Yeah, I, uh, I've been on the force 30 years now. And I don't get flustered. Now look, Jim, the reason I came, we're going to the Antarctic. Antarctic? The Antarctic. Wow, we, do you mean the South Pole? Ice and penguins? Well, I do not mean the South Pole in front of a barber shop. But why? Why South Pole? Why South Pole? Look, Jim, turn on your television. All right. Gee whiz. The transport ship burned for hours before sinking off the coast of Antarctica. She was loaded with supplies bound for a scientific expedition near the South Pole when mysterious jets began bombing her. Equally mysterious is the wave of bombings that have struck base camps of many countries with expeditions near the Pole. One after one, these base camps have been attacked and destroyed. Ah, yes. Kind of turkey. That's a very different flag. <laughs> A lot of explosions in this show. A lot of explosions. Lot of explosions. So that is the only setup we get. We don't know who these people are. We don't know why. We don't know why this ten-year-old kid is being called on by Interpol. Pol, and apart from having seen the opening credits, the opening music, we don't know anything about Gigantor. This is this is a this is a show about boat accidents <laughs> and apparently superpowered police officers. <laughs> Deadliest catch is very different than I thought. Looking at this. What's going on here? But you, you quickly get a sense that it's, it's, it's the characters. Gigantor was cool. That's what made me watch. It's the fact that there were characters actually doing things and having goals that kept me watching. Well, let's talk about this main character here. Because I'm sorry, Jimmy Sparks, this kid has style. I'm sorry, this is what, a 10-year-old kid in a button-down shirt with a tie and in his own office? I, I'm looking like that now, but... I'm sorry, this is 20 years later for me. I wasn't ready at 10 to do this. What in the world, kid? And yeah, he's 10 years old. We, he's not only a snappy dresser and lives in his own house and is the one of the world's experts on robots and has this giant robot that answers only to him and is controlled only by him. But he also, he drives cars, he flies jets. And... This is some of the best anime protagonists missing parents syndrome I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Although, that's one thing about this show. And I'm talking about Gigantor, which is the Americanized version that came to the U.S. in around 1963, and I saw it in reruns years later. The U.S. didn't get the first season of Tetsujin Nijuhachko, which was the, the Japanese version of this, Tetsujin 28. So... 
there was some explanation of this in season one that they just didn't bother bringing to America. It's, here's a story, here's a cool kid, 10 years old, giant robot, go. You guys don't need context, fight crime. (laughs) Period. Okay. I get it. And before we leave Jimmy, I've got to mention that box that he's got, that control box. Because, Ian, I know that uh, building props and replicas is your thing. Yes. But I can't tell you how many tissue boxes and shoe boxes and paper towel rolls I cut up and taped together as a kid trying to replicate the Gigantor control box because I wanted to be Jimmy Sparks when I was five. (laughs) I mean... I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. In the 2000s, the idea that you've got a, a device that size that can control an entire robot, that just seems ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and one last point about how cool Jimmy Sparks is. Here's a, another little clip from Gigantor. You all right? Yeah. So he's, he's not only super cool, not only has great kung fu, but he can drive cars, shoot guns, and he's still suave enough to comfort the daughter of the kidnapped scientist when it's all done. Yeah. Talk about an aspirational character. I figured, okay, when I was watching this at five, okay, I've got five years to get there. I can do that. <laughs> Maybe it'll take me a little longer to get that jet pilot license, but we'll see. And then another character that you saw, Inspector Blooper, who is, on the one hand, he's the comic relief, and on the other hand, half the time, he's the one who's getting Jimmy Sparks into an adventure. Because Interpol, for some reason, calls Inspector Blooper, and Inspector Blooper's solution is, let's get Jimmy and Gigantor. I'm sorry, that mustache. This guy is purely getting this role after being the clock in Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) But still... I can't tell because like he's there shooting alongside Jimmy. He's got he's remarkably physically able with his jumping around and being the most animated animated character here. But yeah, he's also absolutely bumbling in a fascinating way. <laughs> and then we've got another character we haven't shown in any clips yet, Doctor Bob Brilliant. And Doctor Brilliant, he is the he is in charge of all the science that isn't Gigantor. And the backstory is that he was the assistant to Jimmy's father, who was the original creator of Gigantor. Oh, there's context. And he's sort of a mentor, sort of a guardian, even though they live in completely different places. But you get none of that in the original, in the Americanized version of Gigantor. You just know, okay, we need more super science than just the robot. That's why we have Dr. Bob Brilliant. Exactly. I love the Americanization of these names, though. These, these were cool. When you're five years old, you kind of I, I got to say, Jimmy Sparks, Blooper for the comic relief, Bob Brilliant. They're doing good names. I'm liking the names so far. Okay. What was I saying about the names again? <laughs> <laughs> this is Dick Strong, secret agent. <laughs> and friend of, of Dr. Brilliant. So, and he gets involved in a lot of their adventures, of course. And uh, we know he's a secret agent because he sometimes wears a trench coat. He'll often dress in an enemy uniform after knocking out the enemy. And he's your general all-around kind of... And his, his chin is drawn with a T-square. Yes, that is a sharp chin. That is a sharp chin. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so he... Uh, when you need a little more action than, than Dr. Brilliant or even Jimmy is going to be able to muster, 
we've got Dick Strong there as the secret agent, man of action. That works. And then, of course, we've got Gigantor. And I left Gigantor for last in this character list because, on the one hand, Gigantor is a character, but just barely. He's so much more of a prop in so many instances. And there are some stories in which you don't get a, 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 even a mention of Gigantor until halfway through. They're just plowing ahead with their secret agent adventure, and eventually there's something for which you need Gigantor to help solve the problem. And Gigantor comes in. Gigantor, we watched a couple of episodes in order to prep for this. Gigantor is kind of the giant hammer. Like, he's pulled out of nowhere, and he's used to hit the problem. I've, <laughs> like, it, there's a comic trope that they take very seriously with the way they implement Gigantor in this. And really, all you need to know about Gigantor is, uh, is in the, the opening song. And I've got a clip of that for you so we can kind of get a sense of, of all the details about Gigantor. So there you've got Gigantor. What more do you need to know? Jimmy uh, controls him. You've got all... What? I'm... I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, there's a little segment in our podcast I've got to do where I attempt to do the math. I've warned you about that. You, uh, you, try, <laughs> you tried to figure out the speed at which the wandering moon was traveling in space 1999, and it almost broke you. I figured out how much paper Columbo <laughs> threw into the ocean one time. Absolutely. But I'm sorry. I'm figuring something out. Bigger than big... Taller than tall, quicker than quick, stronger than strong. X is greater than X. This entire robot is nothing but a paradox. <laughs> Why? But his power is in your hand. But the power is infinite. <laughs> Even better, you got big hands. <laughs> Valid point. Okay, I can go with that. All right, so let's talk about some plots. We've, okay. we've talked about the characters, we've talked about the setup, we've talked about Gigantor, and you saw the, that first scene already of the struggle at the South Pole. And um, the struggle at the South Pole features machine gun robot penguins. Because of course it does. Why wouldn't you? And of course those are where the uh, guns are mounted, of course. Of course. And it also in, it features uh, the evil Dr. Cat's Meow. See, more cats. There's something about animation in the middle of the last century in cats. Yeah. But Dr. Cat's Meow wants to control the, the, the South Pole because of all the minerals there that are vital to the space programs of all the countries in the world. Uh, okay. Even more so in the year 2000, I guess. I, mm. And therefore, by controlling the South Pole, he'll control enough of the world, I guess. But he's got a amazing resources at the South Pole. This giant underground base and tanks and hundreds of troops, robot penguins. I'm not sure what more he's trying to get. Yeah, what is, what, I'm sorry, you've got robot penguins. Why do you... <laughs> how much did it cost you to make those? 
that's what a, the economics of Gigantor is kind of odd. Sometimes the amount that the bad guys are spending compared to the gain that they say that they're after, it does not add up. Why, yes, I have built a second giant robot in order to take your giant robot because I need your giant robot and my giant robot to get me one pack of trading cards. <laughs> okay. And sure enough, he does, in fact, have his own giant robot in the works. I, I was joking. Flip Q-Man, who you can see from that picture at the bottom, is bigger than Gigantor. But at some point, he needs to steal some Gigantor technology to complete his Flip Q-Man robot. And... Uh, there's a pretty good giant robot battle in the second episode of this, uh, this story. A lot of flying combat, which is good. It's setting the stage in the first story. We're going to get flying robot fights. Okay. But a couple of other things that are sort of set by this first story. They, they always establish that these are taking place in the year 2000. Ah, yes. Which I... seemed pretty amazing when I was watching this decades earlier. But I find that apart from Gigantor... And the super science that the bad guys have, and occasionally something Dr. Brilliant comes up with, the year 2000 seems a whole lot like 1963. <laughs> They're driving around in boxy cars, wearing suits that you would recognize in the 60s. So this is, this is a story about a world in which very, very rich people build and then keep the largest amount of the high-powered technology for themselves. <laughs> And the normal people deal with the smaller things that come down the pipeline. Apparently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Something I also want to mention about the animation. That, that one picture in the corner there. There are some weird animation choices here. Here we're getting a kind of a uvula POV of one of, of Dr. Katzmeow's lackeys when Dr. Katzmeow is yelling at him. It's just a weird animation choice, but it certainly mixes things up when all you're dealing with is this kind of gray, uh, black-and-white animation. That is one of the things you can do in animation that you can't do in a lot of other things. I mean, you go over to your actor and say, here, swallow this GoPro. It's going to look amazing. They're probably not going to do it. David Lynch could convince someone to do it. <laughs> Valid point. I remember the ones we've watched of him. <laughs> so. So after that, we get to another set of episodes about the spider. That's the spider there next to the world map, showing all the places he wants to control. And the spider is another bad guy with super science at his disposal. He's developed uh, a kind of a giant ray gun, which can shoot rockets and, and satellites out of the sky. The only problem is that it takes an enormous amount of energy. It takes like the drains the entire energy grid of his country to fire it. So he needs to get this device invented by Dr. Emeritus, another scientist, the Super Alex, which is a little box that generates a practically limitless amount of electricity. Okay. So that's the MacGuffin for this entire story. And, the, and they'll send in a giant robot with all his power to defend it. So he, there's Dr. Emeritus at the bottom of the screen here. He gets kidnapped. We need to save Dr. Emeritus, the, the um, uh, the spider has his secret agents as well as his soldiers, and also the spider has a mind control helmet that can uh, can bend the will of all of his soldiers. That gets on uh, Inspector Blooper at one point. Ah. So, but the the spider sequence also has my absolute favorite secondary or minor character. This is when um, 
Dr. Emeritus has been kidnapped, and this is Dr. Emeritus' housekeeper who is helping the king of Polyvania escape before uh, the spider can recapture them. We must depart at once, at once, your majesty. Please come, we cannot wait another minute. But we must go, your majesty. I'll remain here and do what I must. I'm with Dr. Emeritus. Find yourself a housekeeper who can, can maintain your home, make your guests feel welcome, and machine gun some guys if they need it. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. The battle maid trope in so many other things started way earlier than I thought. Absolutely. Rem and Ram get so much popularity. But where's the, where's the fan art of this character just like, oh yeah, do what I must, pulls out heavy artillery. Oh my goodness, okay. What in the world? There's a lot of gunfire in this show. There is, and you know, that's one of the changes made when it was Americanized. They toned down the violence considerably. They did what now? <laughs> there was a lot more. There's enough carnage in the American version. There was a lot more carnage in the Japanese version of this show. And this is not G.I. Joe, count the parachutes, nobody really dies violence. This is Gigantor picks up a tank full of bad guys, throws it into a truck full of bad guys, and the whole thing explodes. There is a lot of violence, and this is the toned-down version that I've shown you. I need the I need the Gigantor GTA Five mod. <laughs> oh yes, please. Then, then we watched another like standalone episode, and in some ways, the less said about this one, the better. Yeah, this one's not. And yet, and yet, this also I think it's valuable to mention this because this is something we run into when we're watching TV shows and movies from 30, 40, 50 years ago or more. There. There were different levels of sensitivity among the people who were writing and making these at the time. So the, the Secret Valley, it takes place in Australia. And the main, or the, 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 initi the initiating plot of this is that there are these ranchers in Australia, and they're having a terrible time because these violent natives keep raiding their ranches. And the, the depiction of, of the, 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 they're referred to as natives in this, episode occasionally as savages I uh, know and yeah this and and the depiction imagine the the worst 1950s western depiction of like an, a, an Apache raiding party and that's how they're depicting Australian Aboriginal peoples in this cartoon one of the valuable things that us going back and looking at media gets allows us to do is to acknowledge these things and kind of separate that and try to move past that in some ways. We, we, we acknowledge the mistakes it made, we see what it did wrong, and we try to use that to learn how to do better when we make our own media. And that's yeah. one of the things I appreciate of what we get to do looking back like this. But it doesn't mean it's not awkward to see them. Yeah, and just ignoring that this took place, that doesn't help either. No. Kind of have to acknowledge, yeah, people did this stuff, but it was not good, and we can do better. Exactly. Um, um, not to make light of anything, but something else they could do better is draw animals. Yeah, I think I had one of these on Neopets back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with that kangaroo. And those horses, uh, they just look kind of confused. 
There aren't a lot of animals in Gigantor, and now I understand why. You can fit the eyes of the second horse in between the eyes of the first horse. <laughs> oh, and I have to say, though, the, 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 the robots and the machinery in the Secret Valley, some of them are pretty cool. We've got the robot who fights Gigantor. His main attack is to become a bowling ball, just roll around. There's the buzzsaw flying saucer, and then there's the swarm of robot bees. Swarm of robot bees is yes. just a sentence that is underutilized. <laughs> oh, and the reason there's all this super science is, of course, there's a mad scientist in this valley in Australia, and he's mind-controlling the, the, the quote-unquote natives to attack the ranches to get the ranchers out of the way of the, the super technology. Wait a minute, it's a, it's a Scooby-Doo plot? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, this one was fun. And then, uh, yeah, another one we watched was the Robot Olympics. Now, this is one of the ones that I remember most clearly from when I was a kid. I don't know if it was the first episode that I really saw, or I just remember the giant parade of all these cool robot designs. I just like the implication that Jimmy isn't the only one with a giant robot. That there's like a dozen other Gigantor stories going on all simultaneously elsewhere. That's something, and this is the first season two episode that we watched. Okay. And you're right, it's suddenly, it's not Gigantor and occasionally a giant robot from a mad scientist. It's like every nation on Earth has its favorite giant robot and they can send them to an Olympics. Yeah, it's like, I can imagine. There's just something about it. It's like there's different models of giant robot. There's like places maybe supplying parts to build your giant <laughs> robot. I like that. It's kind of like the drone hobby scene today. It was giant robots. Exactly. I like that. And the thing about that gets me in the, the uh, Robot Olympics is Gigantor is not even the favorite. There's a, a robot from another country, a robot called Toro. Toro. Who, who is got big bullhorns on his, his giant head, and he is the favorite. I'm sorry, if you told me there was a masked wrestler giant robot, he'd be my favorite too. That would be cool. Yeah. And the plot here is that there's a bad guy who is going to steal Toro. He's going to kidnap Toro's inventor, steal Toro's control box, and then enter Toro into the Olympics to win the million-dollar prize in the Olympics. First of all... Because selling your giant robot you stole would not be worth a million dollars. Or doing so many other things than getting on worldwide TV to win a, an Olympics, which apparently are not an amateur event either. The prize is a million dollars. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it seems one of these... Are you? Have you worked out the math here, Mr. Bad Guy? I don't know he has. This... Well, it, so much effort for so little prize every time. But Dick Strong does manage to cat to to track the uh, the kidnapped scientist and figure out what's going on and that someone has stolen Toro. But then Dick Strong gets captured himself, thrown into the same jail on a, an island off the coast, along with the scientist. So what does this well-trained secret agent do? He decides to use that famously rapid real-time communications method of putting a message in a bottle <laughs> so that he can get word to someone in time to get free in, in time for the, the final Olympic event the next morning. And the best part is it does work. It absolutely works. Of course it does. Wherever this is taking place, they must have like thousands of Coast Guard people just <laughs> constantly scanning the oceans for messages in bottles. I want to see the Coast Guard robot. <laughs> I want that to see this like, robot with big floaties and a big <laughs> inner tube, and he's just paddling his way through, picking up bottles. <laughs> I like that. 
posting them to Twitter. <laughs> and the Olympic events are pretty cool. We've got, um, it's kind of like hurdles, but instead of jumping over the barriers, you smash through them because they're giant concrete walls. Okay. You've also got weightlifting, of course, and hammer throw. The hammer throw looked terrifying because they were throwing giant steel balls out of the arena into the local harbor. Yeah. Just like the shipping logistics there. It's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, your Amazon package will be delayed due to giant robot mishap. <laughs> <laughs> Did I mention that after you showed me this, I've been getting nothing but BattleBot suggestions on YouTube for the last <laughs> few weeks, and I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> that is basically what this is. It really is. The I love it. Final event is the wrestling match between the two uh, the two leaders, and of course that's Toro and Gigantor. I'm sorry, that second lady in the first first row there looks like she's about to faint out of excitement. <laughs> this is full on Beatlemania over giant robots. Oh yes, there are a lot of giant robots, and they have their fans. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's one more season two episode that we. Ah uh, yes, this one. The Space Cats. <laughs> more cats. More cats. You can't get away from cats in animation. Can't get away from cats in animation. And this is a, one of, the first one that we watch. I don't know that it's the first storyline in which they in, they have to deal with a, a menace from beyond Earth. So oh. there are aliens in the Gigantor world. Now let's hear about them. The Space Cats. In the year 2000, an enemy force from the planet Magniforce plans to invade the Earth. They land a flying saucer to contact their secret spy, Kitty Magna. The Magna Pussies change into human beings and back again at will. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that. I, I, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I think that's supposed to be a cat. It looks at least as much like a squid to me. Yes, very much so. I'm sorry, they're aliens of what from where? They are the, um, they're from the planet Magnapus. And they are the Magnapussies. Thought I heard that right. Okay, moving on. <laughs> and Kitty Magnus, their secret agent, disguises herself as a human and goes to work as Dr. Bob Brilliant's assistant. Ah, and she also has command of Magna Man, the Magna Pussy's giant robot. You gotta have a giant robot if you're gonna you attack do. someone. And it, but all they use the giant robot for is to destroy Bob Brilliant's lab. <laughs> kind of a letdown. You see, a, this is one of the coolest robots in all of Gigantor. And you know, he just kind of trashes a few hallways in a laboratory. What in the world is with the concept? Like, every single time. You've got a robot here that looks like it should be doing, like, fashion modeling. <laughs> and you're going to use him for light breaking and entering. Okay. But eventually, Dr. Brilliant has an idea for another secret weapon to head off the, um, the Magna Pussy's invasion. Oh. Uh -huh. And that's when we get a... a, a Gigantor modified to go into to outer space. Oh. There's not a lot of difference in the Gigantor design, except for like a bigger radio receiver, I think. Okay, so they're just boosting his signal. It's yes. not like he needs to breathe. And he gets to bring a spray gun with him. Wow, this really is Splatoon, isn't it? Yes, it absolutely is. 
He, uh, the, the secret weapon just involves spraying down the alien ships with this black liquid before they get to Earth. And the aliens are saying, um, okay, big deal, we're still going to invade. Until they find out that uh, Dr. Brilliant's amazing invention is something that somehow increases atmospheric friction. So their ships start to burn up as they enter the Earth's atmosphere. Did he coat their ships in napalm? I don't know, but it, it might have been. They, they discover what's happening in time to turn around and go back to their home planet of Magnapus. Fewer stories involving alien invasion solve it with napalm than I thought. <laughs> That's, that sounds reasonably effective. Wait a minute, what? So those are the, the stories that we, have, that we have looked at. Do you have any general thoughts about these? You're putting all these together? I'm putting all these together, and I can see a lot of how later giant robot stories involving uh, the big bad, involving the idea of putting rival robots against it, kind of, honestly, some of the things that I think of Korra from things like Gundam can originate from something like this. But I can also feel like... This is so rough and raw, and a lot of things are tossed together. There's a lot of pieces that don't quite click from episode to episode for me. So it's interesting, because this is, this is proto some of the stuff I know. This is where the, that's referencing back to. But because of that, I don't know if I'm going to be able to actually read this as a cohesive thing. This, this show feels haphazard. Fun! but really haphazard to me. And I don't know if that's because I only know of the things that came after. And when I later, because I'd seen this first, when I later would watch things like Gundam, like Evangelion, I would figure there are all these dots that Gigantor created. Let's connect those dots. And that's what you sort of see in these more serious stories. What happens when you've got young kids who need to save the earth? Flying giant robots, ooh, and ooh. it's not fun in games. I forgot that this is our first episode with video, so I get to do a I get to do a physical joke this time. Pilot Gigantors, Jimmy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I can see how those are those those link back to this, and this, those are taking the concepts this presents and actually running with them. And I pulled this credit screen from the end of an episode to mention Fred Ladd. He's the producer who brought Gigantor to America. He also brought Astro Boy to America. And it was when he was working on that that he discovered, he saw some pictures of Gigantor and learned about this manga and this show and made a deal to bring it to the US. And one of the reasons why they didn't bring the, that first season to the US is that the original creators didn't think it was their best work. They thought they really got better starting with season two and didn't really want season one distributed all over the world. So interesting idea for that. Uh, I kind of respect that decision. It, Left us in a weird place story-wise, but, uh, but and Fred Ladd went along with that. I also want to mention we've got this based on characters created by. We've got Miss Teru Yokoyama, who is the original Japanese creator of, of Tetsujin 28. Makes sense. And Mary Shelley. What? They acknowledge this, or they see, or at least Fred Ladd sees this connection between Frankenstein and Gigantor. It's like Gigantor is a Frankenstein story that doesn't have quite as tragic an ending. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The first story even has someone running to an Arctic environment. <laughs> That's right. That actually works. And you know, there's a later American cartoon called Frankenstein Jr., which is in many ways a, a Gigantor knockoff. 
It's a kid, the giant robot, but the giant robot looks like a classic universal movie Frankenstein, cartoonified. And the kid flies around uh, on Frankenstein's shoulder. Oh my goodness. That's really, to me, that combination of Gigantor and Mary Shelley. But I like the fact that it's acknowledged this idea of a scientist creating this sort of living thing with these amazing powers. So I guess we've got Prometheus, a modern Prometheus, and then in the year 2000, Prometheus. That's right. That works. I like it. So I think we're ready for our final questions. Every time we talk about something on the Intermillennium Media Project, one of our final questions is binge or no binge. Are you going to recommend that people find this and watch it? I found watching it fun, but really weird. I'm actually going to suggest no binge. As much as I enjoyed some bits of Gigantor, I don't know if I want to go back and sit down and watch through the entire thing. I feel like it would numb my mind and I would go a little <laughs> insane. And I don't know what to think about it because there's all these bits, but I kind of want those later stories that connect to those dots that we were describing more than this, this raw version of it for myself. You know, it pains me to say so, but having watched a bunch of episodes with you recently, I, I think I agree. It didn't I'm, hold up to the amount you thought? It holds up for what it is, and I think for certain people, I'd absolutely recommend that they watch this, but I wouldn't put out a black blanket recommendation that you should watch this, or even if you're a huge anime fan, you should watch this. If you like robot anime, you should at least watch an episode or two, but it's not necessary to, to immerse yourself in the entire Gigantor canon. To, uh, to to get something out of that. Did it's you valuable. have a cannon? <laughs> and your cannons are built into penguins, too. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it makes me a little sad to conclude this, but I would say no binge. Okay. Well, let's move on to our second set of questions. We, we always, also ask... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we always ask if we want to revive, reboot, or let it rest in peace. So, um, an example of revival. Yeah, revive means another story in which the original is canon. So it's either a prequel or a sequel, but it continues that. Um, a reboot is a, a new imagining of it. So like the, the, the new Battlestar Galactica is a reboot of the old Battlestar Galactica. And rest in peace is just, we don't need either, just let it be what it is. So what do you think for Gigantor? Well, I always like to acknowledge the things that have already done this first. That's one of the things I look up every time you show me something new. So there's been a couple of things. There has been a revival with the new adventures of uh, Gigantor and of Tetsujin 28. There's been a reboot that took the original manga and redid it in a action-packed, more modern style. And there's been another reboot, which was a live-action movie with, with CGI and such, which the kid looks a little bewildered. <laughs> So I want to acknowledge that those have already been done. So anything we're describing is is going along with this legacy of Gigantor already and of Tetsujin 28. And I haven't seen any of these, so I'm looking forward to seeing them. But then there's also the question, do we want more reboots, more revivals? And I'm actually going to say I would love to see a reboot. I would love to see the same way that uh, shows like Madoka Magica did, uh, took the pieces of a magical girl story very seriously terrifyingly seriously or the way that various other shows have started taking the trope of what they're existing in and turning it bring it back i want to see someone use gigantor being this original story set up the world and then 
give us that story of just how impactful having this giant robot is. But use that Gigantor, use the parts of the world it described. I think that could be really cool. Letting it get to be the flag of not only what started some of giant robots, but also looking at giant robots now in that sense. And I think it could still be that. Me too. I would I would like to see some reboots of this. And not just Gigantor influencing other robot stories, but the kernel of what Gigantor is. This this little kid inexplicably controlling a giant robot and working with these hyper-competent adults, a, a, a scientist and a secret agent and a law enforcement officer. That is just such a fun formula. Yeah. I don't want to see it go away. We, I want to see it done with modern filmmaking. We've seen, a, we've seen kids scared and bothered to have to pilot a giant robot. I want to see the Jimmy Sparks that is, a, that is really excited to pilot his giant robot because there's some, there's some weird stuff in there you could explore too. Yeah. I've not seen that elsewhere. And this, this gives you a chance to talk about that. And, Gi- and Gigantor is kind of a, a friend, kind of a pet, kind of a hobby. He's, he's a lot of things to Jimmy that we don't tend to see in a, very many other giant robot things. Uh, yeah, I like that. It's also nice to have a robot you don't pilot from the inside. You see a lot of I'm inside yes. the robot piloting because that puts you at risk, but do you act more brazen when you're standing outside with a control box? That's a good question. In some ways, you're, you're less protected because you're out in the open, but in some ways, you're more protected because you can be at a distance and you're not in the middle of the re- robot wrestling match. It's a video game to you. I like that's important. Oh, I like that. Kind of a Gigantor meets the last Starfighter kind yeah, of Yeah. That would be an so. interesting combination. Very much so, absolutely. I like that. Well, I think we've answered our questions, and that kind of wraps things up for our our Gigantor special here. But we really want to thank you very much for coming. Uh we, if you want to find out more about the podcast or contact us in any way, there's a whole bunch of places to do that. Only one you really need to remember is www.immproject.com. That'll have links to all of the other stuff. And to help you remember that, to help celebrate Nondescon and help celebrate our 100th episode, we've got free stickers. Lovely lady in the, lovely lady in the back with the IMMP t-shirt. It will, can give you a sticker on the way out. Um, thank you very much for coming. We look forward to being back. And thank you very much for listening, if you're listening to this online. We'll be back with more tales of media from the 20th century. In the meantime, go find something new to watch. (laughs) Hi, this is Matthew. We really hope you enjoyed this special 100th episode of the Intermillennium Media Project podcast. Ian and I would like to thank Nondescon for hosting our show this past weekend on Friday night. And we'd also like to thank everybody who attended. It was a really fun time, and we hope they enjoyed it as much as we did. Also, at the end of that episode, we mentioned celebrating this 100th episode with some stickers, and we would like you, our podcast listeners, to be able to join us in that celebration. So, if you will send a self-addressed stamped envelope to us, we will send you back a sticker. You can send those self-addressed stamped envelopes to the IMMP at P.O. Box 271167. Littleton, Colorado, 80127. And you'll also find that P.O. box address on the contact page on our website, which of course is www.immproject.com. Thanks again. We hope you enjoyed this, and we will be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from the 20th century.